Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a fortnightly celebration of books. I'm Mari from Readings in Carlton, and today I'm speaking with Robbie Arnott about his new book, The Rain Heron, published by Text. Welcome, Robbie. Congratulations on the publication of your second novel. Oh, thanks, Mari, and thanks for having me. This is my second time on the podcast, and yeah, I feel really honoured. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it might be a bit different this time. The last time I assumed that you were in the same state as the person you were speaking to? Yeah, we did it in a library just not far from Readings Carlton. (gasps) It's a lovely, lovely little studio in that library. Yeah. So I think at this time in this new world, we all find ourselves working at home. So I'm I'm doing the podcast from the floor of my living room. Where where are you doing the podcast from today? Um, I'm in our spare bedroom, which is also my kind of where my writing desk is. So I've been here about nine or ten weeks working from home. So, yeah, it's it's all okay. Yeah. And well, I must ask then, did you write The Rain Heron in that room? Yes. Yeah, I'm sitting where I wrote most of it, I think. Um, oh, I wow. Some of it at the kitchen table, sometimes if I'm away somewhere else. But generally, yeah, in this hmm. small spare room. Yeah. Well, I think it's um, – I loved the book, so thank you oh, for writing it. Um, I was actually, to be honest, a little bit hesitant to start because it seems like it could be sad, I guess. Yeah, uh, I can understand that. It, I was it, so it, joyful. Like, I'm so happy to have, to have read it. I really loved it. So I just wanted to get that out there first so that you know how much I loved it. And then I can ask, um, so Flames, your first book, your first novel, was uh, a great success. It was shortlisted for the New South Wales Premier's Award, Victorian Premier's Award, the Not the Booker Award, and, I mean, most importantly, obviously, the Readings Prize for New Australian Fiction shortlist. Um, can I ask, was The Rain Heron, had you started that already when Flames came out? or? Um, yeah, I had. First of all, I'm really glad you liked it. That makes me feel very much at ease. Thank you so much. Oh, um, I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'd written the first kind of the prologue bit and then the first chunk of it just before Flames came out because I'd received some good advice that if you're going to write another book, it's very good if you already have your teeth stuck into it before the first one comes out and then you're going to get too distracted. So I tried very hard and I actually did, I tried about three different approaches for how to write another book and this was the one that stuck and I spoke with my editor about it and he agreed that was the one to go forward with. So it's like I had a platform for then to build off to write the new book right, when yeah. the first one came out. So you could be thinking about it while promoting Flames and going through that. You had the next stage going. Yeah, and yeah. I wasn't returning to a blank page with heaps of expectation and terror. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad I just heaped that on you then just to start us off with. But um, so, yeah. um, so you had the first part written already and what was the process for writing the rest of the novel? What- um. Just bit by bit piecing it together. I, I'm not the sort of writer who plots everything out um, meticulously and then just sits down and writes it. I kind of figure it out as I'm going along. Um, and there were lots of false starts and abandoned plot lines and abandoned ideas that I felt I probably needed to write in order to get the book into the shape it exists as now. Um, and while at times it feels a bit like, you, oh, I just wasted three months on something that I've ended up turfing out, it's it's the only way to 
arrive where you want to be with the book, I guess. So mm. it can be frustrating, but for me, there's no other way. Um, I wish I could just sit down with, you know, an Excel spreadsheet and plot everything out and then just do just do the book. But unfortunately, I'm neither that organised uh, nor skilled in that way. Well, I think it's fascinating too because the characters I find uh, in the book, Ren and the Lieutenant, without giving any more away, also really have to go through to the point of what they're trying to work out, as you said you did with the book. There's lots of false starts there as well. Yeah. Um, and there's also a lot of plot, though. It's interesting you say, you, yeah, you're not someone who sits down and writes plot because what I found fascinating was this book really has quite a propulsive plot. Yeah, I was. I really wanted people to keep turning the page, I guess. Um, well, it works. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't trust that people would just like reading um, a bunch of nature writing then a fictionalised setting without having a bit of plot to pull them along. And hmm. and I like books like that. I like feeling like there's a mix of semi-decent prose along with an interesting story. Um, yeah. That's, that probably is a really uninteresting way of putting it, but um, that's, no. that's what I wanted to combine. Um, and with those characters, I just wanted to create characters who felt real, both really flawed, um, misguided and not always making the right decision but feeling like they have no choice because I think a lot of people feel like that all the time and I, I wanted them to feel that way. I didn't want them for their course of actions and for their their decisions to just feel like they were easy. Yeah, and, and you don't get the feeling that they're easy. That that definitely comes across. Um, I find I found really interesting in the reading, I mean, you never quite state the setting no. I did the thing that many readers do when you're trying to work out where something's set and you read about where the author's from and where it's, and you're like, so, okay, so it's set in Tasmania. No, that couldn't be Tasmania. No. And I know that that's not really the point, but it, it does seem to be set in Australia, but it doesn't have to be, I'm assuming. Yeah, it is. Is, that, is it purposeful that there's enough hint of where it is? And there are a couple of times where you do mention places, but... Yeah, um, it's quite deliberately a, a fictional imaginary setting um, mm. because I didn't want to be tied to a specific place because then I'd feel like the book would be making more of certain comments about places. Yes. And I yeah. it to be much more imaginative, much more have people take their own reaction out of it than feel like they were being given a message. Um, and tying it to a real place I felt would have done that. Yeah. Um, parts, of, parts of it are quite obviously influenced by the Australian landscape. Mm. Um, other parts are influenced by uh, different landscapes from other places around the world. Yes. Um, yeah. So it could very much be an Australian book and set in Australia or if, for example, there was a mountain in Australia that was covered in a conifer forest with pines and firs. Yes, um, and some birch. And some birches, yeah. <laughs> um, so it is an amalgamation of places and it's it's thrown together like that deliberately to feel both familiar and not familiar. Mm. Um, I wanted to create that sort of setting where at every moment you might be thinking, well, I kind of recognise this place, but at the same time it's almost unreal. Yeah, and I guess that sort of leads me to my next question about whether you see it as sort of also fitting within, say, the scope of, say, this uh, uh, ecological dystopian fiction that is coming I, I didn't think about that when I was writing it. 
No, um, I mean, I assume you would have been writing before that point as well. But Yeah. I mean, it, in many ways it could be read as that, and I wouldn't argue with anybody who took that out of the book because it's, I think those themes are quite present. Um, I wasn't thinking about it that way when I wrote it. Um, and it, one of the backdrops to the book is that there's been a coup in this country. Um, yeah. and people are avoiding it at all costs, essentially. Um, and I didn't go into that coup element much because I didn't think that was the actual story I was telling. And I also didn't want to dwell on the dystopian aspects of it. Um, I didn't think I had anything interesting to say about a, a future dystopia of human culture. Um, yeah. I wanted to focus more on the natural world because it drew me more writing. Um, but as far as the eco ecological stuff, it's, it's all very present in the book. Um, I just hope I managed to have these themes and elements in there in a way that feels like a two-way conversation with the reader rather than a... Here's a thinly veiled allegory about human no. destruction, um, which I was really worried about. But yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I don't think you need to worry. It's not in any way didactic, oh, or, and I mean, it's not allegorical. But I definitely feel a sense of mythic, the mythic qualities that you bring to it in in your writing. Oh, great! That's, that's so, really nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, the. Uh, and, I mean, all the things that you've said about not quite setting it in any one place or time, it's hard to tell whether this could be now, the future, slight past, could be any time really. It looks like the aspects of it that you need to work from are mostly present now in order to yeah. end up with this sort of society or societies, who knows, because we don't really visit them in, in properly. Um but the sense of these singular figures trying to interact with a landscape and a natural world and wrestling with it, that feels mythic. Is that, I assume it was conscious, but were there particular myths that you were working with? None too specifically. Uh, mm. I was one of those kids who had all those, you know, those big coffee table books that are full of myths. Yes, um, yes. All of those, um, and I, I just really like, like I was a mythology and ancient civilizations nerd and a literature nerd, um, yeah. and I really liked all that stuff. And it's, it started bleeding through into my writing in the last few years in a way that I'm really quite happy with. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to invent my own myths, but more importantly, I wanted to have these characters who felt like real people having real, quite tense struggles, mm. having their lives intertwined with a nature fable, one that ends up almost becoming true and I thought that would be a really interesting way to tell a story to have not something that's totally mythical and not totally real but have them kind of entwined together and, and tease that out and see how that how they would interact with each other and how this, where the story would go. I think that's wonderful I also what I um, was really struck by on first reading, just even from the very beginning, so no, no spoilers, obviously, plots and things, um, is that you have a central character who is a middle-aged woman. Yeah. Which um, is still, to be honest, relatively unusual in any type of, I guess, thriller, myth mythology, dystopian, adventure sort of situation. Yeah, I guess... I didn't think, again, it's something that I didn't think too hard about till I was well into the book and then I thought, oh, should I be doing this? But it was too late. Um, that was your character. <laughs> yeah, it didn't make sense to me that she was a, a, a tough middle-aged woman. Um, 
because she's she's in a position on the mountain where she's showing a lot of resilience and strength against quite both natural and human elements uh, battling with her. Um, and when I was writing first inventing this character, I didn't think too hard about gender or even age. Hmm. Uh, I just started thinking about what struggles they'd be going through, and it just made more sense to me that she was female. Yeah. Um, partly because I didn't want to have this kind of great white hunter narrative, you know, man versus the elements. It hmm. really appealed to me. Um, and also because she embodies so much resilience, that's that's something that I guess I've taken in as a very female trait, this kind of calm, methodical, unfussed resilience without getting all angry and furious and, and uh, kind of over-the-top emotional that you actually often see in male depictions. Um, so when I, was, when I was writing it, it just made sense to me that she was this kind of tough middle-aged woman. Um, mm. I was talking to one of my fellow booksellers about the same thing, that this is where I see the new literature going is uh, middle-aged women, like really who would be more resilient. Yeah, exactly. You can't. So Lucy Trelaw in uh, Wolf, in Wolf um, Island has a middle-aged survival, yeah. survival oh. character, um, which I saw recently, and it made sense. And reading your book, I'm like, of course she is. It just makes sense. That's who she is. Yeah, I finished reading Wolf Island the other day. Um, oh, really? I, I really like Kitty Hawk, the main character. I think she's a wonderful character. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad I didn't read it or didn't have a chance to read it while I was writing The Rain Heron because it might have made me feel a bit awkward or like I wasn't doing it as well as Lucy Trelaw. No, um, no. I, yeah. no I, I think they're, they're both fantastic characters. I love the idea that there's more than one great character of the last few years who his resilience is the thing that's going to get her through. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, yeah, like, like you said, I totally agree. You don't meet many people more resilient than a middle-aged woman um, generally. Hmm. And I just, I just found it interesting and I thought it was the right way to tell the story and she was the right character for that situation. Was she your first character? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think you're not meant to say this, but she's my favourite character in the book by a mile. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, I'm not meant to say that. but No, 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 it's okay. I have a favourite character too, but I'm not going to say anything because, you know, we have to let it. She is a fantastic character. I really, um, I love that. Um, and the other fantastic character is your nature writing, which I find wonderful. The mountain itself, uh, your description of skies. Is that type of writing writing you've always been interested in? nature writing you were saying you didn't want to just have nature writing or without plot but has that kind of writing always been something you've wanted to do i mean something i've always been interested in and something i've always loved reading but it's probably only in the last four or five years that i've really started having it as an integral part of my fiction yeah like, i've only published two books so it's not like yeah. i've got this career um <laughs> yes, but, yeah. <laughs> when I was in my early 20s, I guess I was just, I was trying to write the things that I thought people were reading and people were into. So I was writing lots of tortured stories about young men and their feelings and their relationships with their fathers and, yeah. and their tortured emotions. And, and that's, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing and I thought it was really good and most of it wasn't any good. And I was really lucky that I come from Tasmania and I spent, a, you know, I've been exposed to some pretty amazing places down here. And it was only when I started leaning to writing more about the world around me rather than the angsty people in it 
that I found a bit of a groove for doing something perhaps a bit more unique or that I thought was perhaps a bit more worthy. I think that's really interesting because, I mean, I think it's very effective and it's great. And I think we don't we all start by writing about the, <laughs> our tortured relationships with our parents, really, in some oh, form. God. Yeah, and, I'm so yeah. glad you get published. Well, <laughs> see, there are good things. Um, but what I was struck by, too, is the interiority of the characters. They do all have very strong interior voices. And when you're with each one, you never think you're going to have another voice that's that strong in the story. And yet I have maintained all of the characters in my mind. Their voices have maintained that strength. And how did you go about finding the interior of all these people? Um, part of it was making a decision for, and I don't want to give too much away, but for most of the book to write uh, in third person. I'm, I'm trying not to give it away too. Yeah. <laughs> um, to focus initially on third person point of view, um, yeah. help me actually write around the characters a bit in order yeah. to show what they were like and show what they were doing. I think if I'd focused early on on do it as a first person point of view, um, I wouldn't have handled it that well um, because I didn't go in there thinking I had a really strong voice for each character. Yeah. Um, I knew who they were and what motivated them and, and what their story was. So writing a, by writing around them and writing their action and writing their dialogue, even though there's only a little bit of dialogue, um, I think helped me shape them and helped me keep them within a frame that then I could I was comfortable with and I felt like I could present them in that way. And it's only later in the book when there's a, there is a first-person section and it was that point where I thought it was really necessary to get in, have that character speak and I thought it was the right way to go. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it helped sorry. me almost feel like I was moulding them into a frame. Yeah. Oh, sorry to cut out. No, 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 that's okay. So... Yeah, I mean, I find that fascinating that the characters are very much framed within their landscape as well, as are the different animals, whether they be mythological animals, yeah, the other main characters, the animals, the, but also the, the landscapes. Um, I, I do love that way you seem to approach from the outside in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, something that kind of just helps me get going with writing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's where I draw a lot of inspiration from and and I guess it's where a lot of my characters are defined by. Yeah. Um, and it helps me understand them and I think it helps me understand the story. Um, and that ends up what's coming out, that ends up being what comes out in the book, um, both in my first book and with this new one. Um, yeah. That's just how it came out. Um, I don't feel like I'm totally in control of it. I'm sitting down knowing exactly what I'm doing and this is going to be great. I'm all just sit down and go, oh, God, how am I going to do this? And that seems to be the way that it's been working so far. Um, yeah, and, it, I, you know, I find it interesting, so I just I really hope other people do too. Well, look, if I have anything to say about it, they will. Don't you um, worry. Um, but I also wanted to ask, how is it bringing out a book in this situation? How are you? How are you finding the process of releasing a book in these strange times? Oh, well, I went on a book tour yesterday. Um, it lasted an hour and a half. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, went to, I went to four great bookshops here in Hobart um, yeah. and found the copies they have in. Um, cool. Yeah, other than that, it has been a bit strange. Um, mm. We chose not to delay the book, uh, which 
I didn't know if it was a good idea or not. I just went ahead with what my publisher said. And, you know, I'm glad it's come out now because some of the shops have reopened and people, yep. can, go, people can go get it. Um, it's actually very good timing. Yeah. A lot of, like, a lot of events that we were going to do were cancelled and a lot of the writers' festival I was going to appear at are cancelled or some of them are moving online, so some things are still going ahead. Um, so it is a strange time, but I'm kind of just glad the book's been published. It takes a bit of the weight off the shoulders and... If people want to read it, they can still get it pretty easily. Like, oh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I actually think it's a great time for it to be published in terms of the book itself because it it deals so much with how individuals are dealing with situations and we're all very individual at the moment. Yeah. And separated and so it works very well within that framework too. I hadn't thought of that. I'm going to pass that on to my publisher and, and bring that up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Feel it. Thank you. What? My pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I do. I sell books. <laughs> um, um, other, sorry, I was going to say the other thing that made it um, that perhaps is a good thing is the launch of my first book was like way bigger than I expected Yeah. because um, I got total fluke and Richard Flanagan did the launch. Wow. And um, he's kind of like this legend and he's one of my heroes. And yeah. so he did the launch and like hundreds of people came, mostly because they just knew this Booker Prize when it was launching some weirdo's book. Um, and, Not yeah, it was kind yeah. of beyond all my expectations yeah. and I can't really remember the night. So I could never top that. So in some ways it's good that we're not having another launch because, yeah, yeah I wouldn't top it. Yeah, this is a different type. You think what? Yeah. I think this begs the question, is there a third book? Have you started a third book, a third novel? Yeah, I have actually. I'm working on something now. Oh, um, interesting. And um, it's uh, I have a contract for it, so it's going to have to happen either way. Yeah. Um, but you're yeah, following the same advice of keeping it going. Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping it going. Um, yeah, so I do. I will have a third book out hopefully in another two or three years. Uh, I've got to mm. write it first, um, but it, it's coming along well. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to give away too much about it yet. No, no, Probably. no, 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 no. We'll we will wait. We'll, we'll meet again at the podcast again. Yeah. And talk about it then. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, so I guess the only um, other thing I, I really wanted to talk to you about specifically is your book's coming out. It's a bit of a strange time. What do you have uh, lined up next? Uh, there are still some online things going and you're, is there anything else you'd like to publicise that's coming up? Um, sorry, my cat's just jumped on the desk. I've just oh, that's what they do. Oh, hello. Yeah, um, sorry yeah. about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I believe I'm still appearing at the Online Melbourne Writers Festival. Wonderful. Um, but that's all under embargo and things. But so I probably wasn't. Probably even say that. Um, yeah, don't worry about yeah. it. Um, I'll be doing a few online events here and there. Um, yeah. Nothing particularly planned as yet. Uh, there's, yeah. They're all in the works. Um, uh, other than that, I'm just answering emails, doing uh, interviews and signing books and um, make myself as avail available as I can. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's been really good to talk to you about the book today and I loved it. I will tell everyone else to read it and I mean congratulations I think it's a great story and an unexpectedly joyful experience let's put it that way
Oh, thank you so much, Mari. That's uh, yeah. that's really made my day. Oh. Okay, and then we have this one final question we ask everyone. So you just said you just finished uh, Wolf Island recently. Yes. But, uh, what are you reading at the moment if you're having time to read? And what are you watching? Do you stream things? Because that's what we all do nowadays. <laughs> I have very nearly finished Fathoms by Rebecca Giggs. Ah. And I love it. It is so good. Yeah, uh, great. Can, can't describe how much I like this book. Um, I mostly read fiction, but yeah. um, I've been a fan of her kind of essays and things like that for the last few years. And this book, I don't want to give away, it's about whales and it's just such a wonderful piece of nature writing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think she's an incredible talent. I really like it. Mm. Um, and as for watching, uh, my fiancé has been watching normal people a lot. So, uh, yeah. so I'm kind of walking past the other room and like, seeing like these attractive Irish people having sex and then kind of crying. Um, yeah. So I've been watching that and no, other than that, I've just been working and writing. <laughs> well, that's very, it's um, very well disciplined of you. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thank you for doing this today with us. Thank you for being on the readings podcast. We loved, well, we loved flames. We loved the rain heron. Well, I love the rain heron. I'm going to speak in the royal we, and I'm sure that everyone else will as well. Uh, congratulations on its release, and hopefully we will uh, talk again in the coming months and in a few years when book three comes out. Um, so thank you for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. Ah, my pleasure. You can stream previous episodes of The Readings Podcast on our website, where you'll also find all kinds of bookish recommendations and plenty of great books, music, film and TV. There you can sign up to our e-news or to receive our free monthly print newsletter, The Readings Monthly. Production and music for this podcast were provided by Tom Hoskins. All of our podcasts are recorded and produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and the sovereignty was never ceded.